Welcome to episode 60 of the Through the Point podcast. This week was a bit of a different interview because I did not interview a javelin thrower. I interviewed Lauren Williams, who is a sprinter and bobsled athlete and is the first American woman to win a medal in both the Summer and Winter Olympic Games, which is just an amazing accomplishment. Now that I think about it, I think she has to be the most accomplished athlete I've even had on the podcast, but it was a really awesome interview hearing about her background, but what was really important was she reached out months ago during the season and things got busy, obviously, but now that we're back, she reached out and she's working as a financial advisor now. She's helping specifically young professionals, but with an athletic background, obviously, she loves connecting with athletes. But we wanted to talk about that because I felt like that was an underrated part of being a javelin thrower, especially when that contract or lack thereof is very common in the sport. So you have to make things happen in different ways. So having her expertise on there, I felt like it would have been really beneficial for everybody, even if she wasn't a javelin thrower, but she did have an amazing, amazing track background. And obviously the bobsled success is amazing as well. So she was a super genuine person, awesome to talk to. And I think you guys can learn a lot from this. And if you're interested, uh, go forward with her business. It's uh, worth-winning.com is her website. So you can check it out there. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy. I'm here with not a javelin thrower, but an incredibly, incredibly accomplished track athlete. And she's here to talk about her financial business as well. Lauren Williams, the first American woman to medal in the summer and winter Olympics. I mean, when I saw that on your bio, I was amazed that you were DMing me and we could set up a podcast. But Lauren, thank you for coming on. And I'm excited to talk to you today. Scott, thanks so much for having me. I am excited to talk all things track and field. Javelin throwing, even though I'm not a javelin thrower, stay yeah. tuned. This is going to be a really good episode. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And you said you had a podcast too. So I know we're going to have really good back and forth. You seem comfortable on the mic and we got a good, uh, a good background before we started as well. Like I'm really interested in just hearing more about your business. Like personally, I, I mean, I think it applies to myself a lot. So I'm really interested in hearing that, but I guess you want to start a little bit with your athletic background. And like you said, if you can tie in javelin, you'll get bonus points for that, but I'm not expecting you to do that. So just maybe start with your athletic background uh, growing up. Yeah. So I am born in Pittsburgh, raised between Pittsburgh and Detroit, Michigan, because my parents split up when I was three. Um, and so kind of the back and forth there created a really cool dynamic where I got to, you know, do summer activities in one place or summer activities in another place, depending on, you know, which year things were, you know, what was happening where. So I did pretty much every sport you can imagine growing up, uh, ballroom dancing, softball, basketball, um, what else, karate, gymnastics, you name it, I pretty much play those sports. And it's what's sad about it is like, you know, you're when you're younger is when you're supposed to be developing your coordination. So having done all those things, you think I would be more coordinated. <laughs> I ended up as a sprinter because running in a straight line is pretty much all I'm good at. <laughs> That's all. So I started running track when I was nine years old. Um, didn't really love it. Uh, more so because it, it didn't resonate with like the way that I like to play outside, you know, I was like rough and tumble tomboy. And it was like, there was, it wasn't a contact sport. So right. like just go as fast as you can doesn't make a lot of sense, but it grew on me over time. And what really got exciting about it for me was uh, when I got to uh, high school age and started thinking about college. So I guess another part of my story is I come from a family of five sisters, two brothers. Um, so bunches of people, but not a lot of income to take care of all those people. Um, and so, you know, there was no college funds. And I had to figure out how I was going to get to college, even though they definitely instilled the importance of education. Uh, my parents did. And they were, you know, high, high on making sure your academics were in place. So I was kind of depending on academic scholarships up until the point that I realized that I had some athletic ability and that there was a such thing as athletic scholarships. And so that's kind of where the story, I think, begins. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like before we, I don't know if I'm jumping too far ahead, but just like that idea, is that like, is that kind of part of what inspired what you do today like having that financial background where you're like you didn't necessarily have things perfectly set for you as you got there like you kind of had to figure it out is that kind of like a thought that went into your head when you started working on what you're working on now I think there's always in everyone's lives like these seeds that are being planted that we sometimes don't realize in the moment. So, mm. you know, like I've always been entre very entrepreneurial. I sold candy in middle school. So I'd go get the penny <laughs> candy from the store that was like 25 cents for a bag and I'd sell it for 50. Um, and so, you know, like these little things now that you look back on me, you're like, oh, okay, I, I see what was happening there. <laughs> um, and then I chose my major uh, in college because they were like, 
well, you got to pick something. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about any of these different things. I don't know what I'm interested in. I think now that we're all older, we can all look back and be like, oh, we weren't really sure at 17 or 18 years old how to make a decision that was for the rest of our lives. And I chose finance because I like math and I like money. I was like, okay, I can, I can do math and I love trying to figure out how to make money. So let me be a finance major. Um, and then you kind of fast forward through that. And it was like, oh, well, now I'm making money as an athlete and I need to figure out how to organize these finances. Well, I realized that the college degree didn't teach me a whole lot about personal finance. And all of my friends were in the same kind of boat. Like you like said, where are these, where's the information that you need to be able to understand the basics of how to live your life? Because whether you go to college or not, whether you become a professional athlete that makes bazillions or, or not, we all are going to have to keep a roof over our head and feed ourselves. And we're gonna to have to exchange dollars in order to be able to do that. Um, and so I think every part of my background has been integral in getting me to where I am today. Right. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. And it's a really interesting way you got there. Like you said, it's just the foundations laid brick by brick. And then before you know, you got it all built up and, and here you are today. But like, as you mentioned, uh, in the recruiting process, you started realizing you can get some athletic scholarships and, and you had a ton of success as a high schooler. So what was that recruiting process like? And how do you, I guess this would be a point of advice for people. Like, how do you make the right decision? on where you go to school. Yeah, I think this is such a hard thing because like the recruiting process has changed so much. I see now that, you know, kids in high school um, are showing, you know, videos and they've got the uniform on of the university. And I mean, they're like freshmen in high school and it's like, wait a minute, I couldn't even be spoken till until I was a junior. Um, and then in like the football world, you see them say like, I've already been offered a full scholarship. And you're like, wait a minute, you're in eighth grade. Like, how is, like how's that even allowed? But um, way back in my day, the recruiting process um, was, like I said, your junior year, people would call and coaches would start to call. Um, and you would have conversations with them and learn a little bit more about the university and what they had to offer. They would ask about what you were interested in. And for me in making my decision, like I said, now looking back on it, like I just realized how young you are at 17 years old. You feel like, oh, I'm going off to be a grown up, or you can drive and you get a certain amount of independence, but you know, you hit your twenties, you hit your thirties, you realize like, gosh, I was such a kid at that age. Um, and so for me, the, the decision was more so like, well, if I'm going to have to run track and this is the way that's going to get me the free education, then I better be in a place where I can actually put my best foot forward. And so the colder schools were kind of out of the, the question for me right out of the gate, because I was like, I know what it's like being in Pennsylvania. Um, our season didn't start till sometimes mid-April. We were running up and down the hallways of the high school because we didn't have an indoor facility. Um, the gym was, you know, the hallways were longer than the gym. And so I was like, I just, I don't want it to be like that. And that's what I thought it would be like if I went to a college where it was cold. And so I was like, I'm going to go somewhere where it's warm. So the schools that had warmer weather, um, I was like, okay, let's look into those and let's figure out uh, which, which one might be the best fit for us. And I ultimately landed on Miami. Yeah, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And like, I, my next question was just why University of Miami? I mean, the warm weather, obviously, it doesn't probably get warmer than that in the United States. But like, is there any other components where you're like, this really stands out to me compared to the other schools? I mean, it was also the, the, the coaching, the recruiting process. process. Um, so, you know, some of the coaches were pretty like uh, forceful, very assertive, you know, kind of bugging you. And you don't want to feel pressured into doing anything. You know, this is a decision that is going to ultimately change your life. Um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, once you get older, you realize like, oh, four years is not a really long time, um, you know, in comparison to all the things I'm going to accomplish. But it is going to set the trajectory for what you can accomplish. And you want to be around people who have your best interests at heart. And Coach Amy Dean definitely made me feel like that from day one. She was very tuned into like, who are you the person beyond who are you the athlete? Because I think one of the things that we bump into quite a bit is people seeing us for our talents and our abilities and not for anything else. Um, you may have a musical instrument you're interested in. You may be, like you said, into science or math or whatever the case may be. We all have other interests above and beyond our athletic abilities. And it's important that while we want to continue to do well and exceed in that area, that we don't put ourselves in a silo or that people don't put us in a silo. And like I said, for the University of Miami, Amy Dame didn't make me feel like that. And so, I mean, it didn't hurt at all that I went on my college visit there. It was October. So like I said, Pennsylvania weather, yeah. <laughs> October is first frost time. Um, 
I went uh, on a visit there and I got sunburned. I came back and my nose was peeling and I was like, oh, I'm coming back to a coat when I just got sunburned somewhere else in the country. Right. Like, why would I ever want to do this again? Yeah, that's hilarious. That makes perfect sense. And like, I'm interested too um, in that and like with all the high performers, because like I said, you've had so much success in your athletic career, but like all the high performers, I feel like talk about having that balance between something else and and their sport like you said where the school made you feel like you're not just an athlete you have other parts to that and I think like in my own personal career I've learned that having that time or having something to do outside sports and like valuing yourself as more than an athlete is when I started performing the best not when it's not like I took time off or I, I did worse because I wasn't as focused it was like when I felt like okay if I had a bad practice I can go somewhere else and do something else or focus on something else like that helped me bounce back for the next practice instead of just being like sulking in my room, crying that I have bad practice or something like that. Yes. And it was a game changer for me too, when I became a professional athlete to have something to do. Um, you know, we always talk about like getting the freedom and being done with school. And, you know, you, you just want to be a grown up. Like we're so, we're on such a fast track to become, you know, a, a grown up that can make your own decisions and not have, you know, this structure or this schedule or, you know, X, Y, Z. But as soon as I became a professional athlete, my only job was to go, to the track, um, you know, work out to the best of my ability so that I could run as fast as, as humanly possible when I got to those races so I could make money. But I, I immediately realized that there was a void and that, you know, I needed to keep my brain going and I also needed structure in my days. Uh, and I think it, it's a real game changer when you can realize that because it's one going to give you skills for life after sport. But ultimately, the other aspect of it is that um, it's going to create more structure and make you a better athlete. Yeah. Awesome. That That's great insight. And like, I want to get into your professional career and like post, but I also want to like hear about your college career a little bit and like, just, I mean, maybe a brief overview about what it was like there and like some lessons you learned highs and lows, like take it however you want, just like whatever jumps out to you about your college career, like you can go ahead with that. Yeah. Well, I, I think specifically thinking of Miami, uh, one of the things that stands out was just the cultural diversity that exists. You know, there were people from all over the world in Miami, um, and I had never seen such a melting pot. Uh, like I said, I was raised in Detroit for part of my life. And that was a predominantly black place uh, where I saw very few white people. And then I moved to Pennsylvania back with my dad where I was born. Um, and I was the only black girl in my graduating class. So I had seen, you know, like an all black environment pretty much with very few other people. And then I was in an all white environment with, like I said, very few other people. And it was just like kind of the world is like black or white. And it's like, no, that's not the world at all. Yeah. And getting to the University of Miami, you know, going to school with kids that were um, Caribbean and um, from the Central America, all kinds of Latin America, you know, just all people from all over the world. We had a lot of um, foreign exchange students from various countries. Uh, it, it really, really felt diverse and it really really exposed me to a bunch of different perspectives and it, I brought in my horizon to like what the world has to offer it made me a lot more excited to get out there and see the world so um, I, I would say that was one big thing the other thing is just you know going to a smaller school so I think a lot of people think because um, Miami is a division one it's AACC um, that we're just like a humongous school but we're about like 9,000 students the last time I checked um, which is a pretty small private school. Um, and so you get a lot more intimate environment. You get to know people a lot more. Um, activities are a lot more, you know, just just fun because you don't feel like you're lost in the shuffle. And then we had a great athlete community as well. So, you know, to have that family, it wasn't just a track team. It was the athletic department. And we all, you know, supported one another, went to soccer games, went to basketball games, et cetera. Um, it was a really great experience for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, th I think the first part you touched on is, is a really underrated thing when people are choosing schools and maybe like as a high schooler you don't think about diversity as like a main factor and when you're picking your college but then like because I, I went to two schools with well, three I guess but the first two I went to but they uh they were super diverse and it's something I'd never thought would impact me the way it did I guess like I didn't choose either of them based on that but then once you get out you're like I, I do feel like it made me a lot more well-rounded and you understand those perspectives because it's people from like, and you're talking about 9,000, like the schools I went to were like 1,400 before I went to <laughs> Iowa State, which was like 35,000. So that was like, I mean, super, super small, but I mean, you're really like with these people that are from completely different backgrounds. So I think that's something that as an athlete maybe isn't like the driving thing, but it's also something not to like underestimate or like make underrated in your decision is like, I, I do think it made me a better person just from being around that. 
Yeah. I mean, it's such a big deal to be able to say like, how can I continue to further my knowledge and my perspective? Um, it's by interacting with people from all different places. And um, like I said, backgrounds. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So you graduated college in 2004 and you won a silver medal that same year. Like how do you handle that success at such a young age? And then like, what was your life like before that? And then when you return home, like what part was different? I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah. 2004 was a pretty interesting year in my life. So I was a junior in college, actually. I wasn't even in my senior year yet. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And so I was planning, you know, I was a normal college student all year long, uh, just trying to win the NCAA title. So super basic goal was like win NCs. <laughs> and it was because of my, my freshman year and my sophomore year, I made it to NCs. And I think I got like last place in the final of my freshman year, like barely made the final. And then I was like fourth or fifth. So it was kind of like, I saw the progress, but my sophomore year, there was a lot of people that I had beat earlier in the year that did better than me at, at the national championships. And so my junior year, I was like, nope, I'm ready to be a national champion. Like, come on, let's, let's do this. <laughs> um, so I was very much, you know, kind of a lot more focused in, in that year, but um, Olympics were not on my radar. I didn't know that that was like attainable. I didn't, I, I don't think I was hundred percent unaware that it was an Olympic year, but I didn't think that it was anything like I was definitely planning on returning to school the following year, right. continuing to run track, et cetera. Um, little did I know there was a different plan in store. So I got to the national championships. I ran the second fastest time in the world so far for the year. And I won the NCAA title. So immediately, you know, as the fastest American, um, up to that point in the year, my focus had to change, you know, the, the shoe companies came out of the woodworks, uh, and my coach basically sat me down. And like I said, I, I mentioned earlier, like what a good person, uh, Amy Dean is she, you know, she had that conversation, you know, where it was, Hey, uh, my job is to keep you here at this school and to, you know, have you fulfill the requirements of your degree. However, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Right. And I think it's in your best interest to, you know, take the funds that are going to come with this once in a lifetime opportunity, because, you know, while next year you could be just as fast next year is not an Olympic year. So there's not going to be as much, you know, hype or hocus pocus around it. And so your earning potential could be totally different in addition to, you know, you being injured or not running, you know, like the other thing, the other unknown. So I really appreciate that to this day, because I realized, you know, later on, as I started to interact with some of my other friends that their coaches were having different conversations trying to keep them in school you know giving them poor information um were very angry with them when they decided to leave uh, and and didn't really take into account what was there in the in the person's best interest so um yeah that 2004 was a game changer uh i ended up getting an agent and signing with nike and becoming a professional athlete gave up my college eligibility uh one of the biggest things that i think was a win for 2004 though was a I negotiated that they pay for the rest of my education. So now it's a pretty, it's, it's a much more standard thing. Uh, if they're trying to get you to come out of college that they offer to pay for the remainder of your education. And I think a lot of the schools now are also continuing to pay for athletes education because it affects their graduation rates. But back in my day, um, <laughs> you know, I was going to have to come out of pocket if I wanted to finish my degree. And that definitely was not something I wanted to do. So I, I negotiated that as well as, um, you know, my salary, et cetera. Okay. So that is not the story I expect. Like I said, the research I can get is only so much. So I, I thought it was just like, Oh, it was a nice May graduation. I'm done. I'm going to the Olympics, whatever, but it's definitely a different story. And I think <laughs> that speaks to what you said with your college decision and like having that right feel is you're not many coaches that are going to tell an NCAA champion, don't come back. Right. <laughs> like you got yeah. another year. They're going to be like, yeah, whatever, like stay. So not many coaches are going to do that. So that, that honesty. And like, you felt that during the recruiting process and the fact that it held true is like, like you said, I mean, people might think that's what's happening and then they get to the school and that's not how it is. So like to really have that is amazing. And, and then how do you get in that transition now? Like you said, you were, I mean, you're having success, obviously your freshman and sophomore year, but it's like that level of success, like world, world speed down, like getting that. And like, even in that short period too, like you said, I mean, freshman year to junior year is only two years. And you went from like, you said, getting last in the final to now out of college professional sprinter contract like everything like that. I mean, that's amazing. So like, how do you handle that transition and how difficult was it maybe after the Olympics? Like, cause that was kind of a quick turnaround. Then you go to the games, but then after that, it's like, okay, I'm not in school anymore. How do I handle that transition? Yeah. I mean, from a transition standpoint, it was tough because like you said, overnight you become a grown up. 
And you don't realize, like I said, in your 18 to 21 year range, you know, 18 is like when they first call us adults and then 21 yet again, like you're really, really a grown up this time. Um, <laughs> and then and then you become in your 30s like me and you're like, oh, I was I was totally not a grown up back then. <laughs> but it was a lot of pressure um, to, to figure out, like you said, do I move out from living with my college roommate? If I do, you know, do I get an apartment or do I buy a house? There's a lot of, you know, people saying like buy a house, start to build wealth and a house is an asset I'm like what does all that mean like I don't right. I don't get it um I just know I need a roof over my head and that I'm, I'm earning more and I should be able to pay for a nicer place at a minimum we were living in a pretty you know sketch neighborhood <laughs> on our college income um, and so the the I say the biggest piece of the transition was figuring out how to exist as a young, like I said, young professional. I said, still had basically, I only had a half a semester of school left, but I, I should have had a whole year of school. And I went to school at 17. So I'm pretty young. I'm 20 graduating college, basically. Right. Um, and I don't, I just don't know how to be a grown up. Um, despite having this income that says like you're a grown up and having the responsibility of being a grown up. So right. um, finding a good support system to help me kind of navigate those things was a, a key piece of the puzzle. Um, and I think we'll talk more about the finance piece of it, but basically right. I hired uh, a financial advisor immediately um, because I knew that I didn't know a lot about money. Um, I, at the time though, I didn't know that there were different types of financial professionals out there. So I didn't hire the right one for me. Um, and I ended up firing him, hiring another guy, thought that was going to go better. Um, that didn't. And I mean, I, actually was, we talk about transitions, like hiring and firing people in your twenties, <laughs> like where you were just like being coached, like your coach was the boss of you because you had a scholarship, like you showed up where she told you to be Right. <laughs> to, Oh, I pay the coach now. So this is like, this is my employee, you know, these financial people, my agent, all of these people are, you know. I, I am the client and, you know, you're getting compensated for doing work for me, even though, you know, some of them were old enough to be my parent. So right. it was like an interesting dynamic to have to kind of navigate. And it, it was a lot of pressure to be able to do that. Right. Especially like you said, so early on, you just, you just came out of the classroom and now you're hiring and firing. Like that is just not right. something, and that's not something you can really get prepared for either. I feel like that's just, as it goes on, it's like, all right, <laughs> just figure out how to do it. But that's hilarious. So then going on with your track career, I mean, I'm looking at your Wikipedia. There's like a million medals. So I don't want to pick one. I would just like mm -hmm. name one thing or, or you can like, I said, I don't want to name one, but you can just pick some of your favorite moments or like some things that stand out from your track career. Um, I mean, definitely the travel. Uh, I think all athletes, like you said, regardless of what event you do, if you get to go on to the pro circuit, um, you'll really appreciate being able to see the world and see all those different cultures to, you know, experience all the different foods, the different weather, um, you know, even just like the smell, like some countries have like a whole smell, like you're like, <laughs> oh, this, this smells like blah, blah, blah place. Um, I, I definitely think travel was one of the highlights and then, you know, making friends, like you said, of all the different sports, all the different events, um, you know, when you're at the, at the Olympic games, you just get to meet all kinds of cool people, but you get the camaraderie too. Uh, like you said, you're not limited. So, you know, hanging out with the throwers at the lunch table in middle of, you know, Zurich, Switzerland, as an example, um, you know, it's such a small community track and field and it's such a small, you know, the meets are so small in comparison to what we're used to in, in a college world. It's like, Oh, like you get to build relationships. You get to know right. people over time. You get to learn, you know, new things. And, and, and they also challenge you to be better in different ways. So it's like, Hey, I'm reading this book and you're like, Oh, you're in a book reading. Okay. Well, tell me about it. And now you're like interested in, you know, like we do that whole competitor thing. We're competing in every way we can. Right. Um, and so, yeah, just getting to know new people. And like I said, continue to expand my horizon, I think would be one of the coolest things about being a track and field athlete. That's, that's exactly what a lot of the high level javelin throwers I've spoken to too, is about the travel and like how track and field is basically the the only sport when you get to that level, maybe not only, but like probably the highest one of like traveling, like you're actually traveling where if you're in the NFL, like you're maybe traveling around the country, but like you're, you're here the whole time. You're not going countries, but I mean, you see like some people's meet schedules and it's just insane where they're going all over the world in one season. Like they're, it's really, really unique thing that I guess you don't think about necessarily as just an average athlete or just a normal person, but it's like, yeah, I mean, you're really going all over the world.
literally all over the world. And you're, you're right. I think there are very few sports that travel as much as we do there, you know, probably a few other Olympic sports, but you know, even like basketball players that spend a lot of time overseas and, you know, in between seasons, or if they're, you know, not in the in NBA, it's still one place that right. you're at for a pretty, you know, you're based there and this is your, you know, you might bounce around to go to different games, but you know, with us, like you said, we are like literally all over. Absolutely. Cause there's no set set league or like area where you're going to be in. I mean, because you could be in the Euro league and you're like just in Europe, but I mean, you could be all continents almost in one season, but that's right. uh, that's super cool. So now this is a very interesting component in like, where does the bobsled come in in this? Cause we're talking about all this track did a great job in track. And then you just weren't done and had to do bobsled. Like, how do you get involved with that? And then like, how did you take at it when you first started? Was it like day one, you were ready to go or was it, it tough? Yeah. So bobsled is like you said, an interesting story. And I mean, it's really about like seeing opportunities and everything you do versus the obstacles. So the obstacle in this situation would be like my track career was coming to an end. It was 2013. Um, I was struggling with my weight. I was struggling with injuries and it was the last year of my contract. So I knew I wasn't going to be in a proper position to get any worthwhile contract going forward. So I was like, okay, my career is over December 31st. Um, I need to be thinking about what I want to do next. And um, a series of events kind of led me to like Lolo Jones had uh, tried bobsled the year before. And I read an article about them having done it um, and was like, oh, that's interesting. She and I ended up uh, in the airport headed to a race in Rome. And I was like, hey, I read an article about you trying this thing. What was it like? And she was like, it was super dope. You should give it a try. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, um, And I, it wasn't, I didn't have Olympic aspirations at that point. It was just like, I was looking for something else because I didn't know what was next for me. Right. Um, so just being open to like, okay, this might be something cool to give a try. Little did I know I was going to show up um, to the very last trial that was available before they, be, you know, begun their Olympic official Olympic process um, and, and do really well. Uh, sprinting transfers well. And I mean, even for javelin players, you, you guys are power athletes. So right, right. don't be afraid if you're looking for like a transition, like, um, you know, you've got to be powerful. You got to be able to move. They're, they're looking for you to create twerk so that that sled can get moving as quickly as possible. So um, I, I gave it a try and, and I really enjoyed the, you know, first experience, but it was very scary. So first experience, <laughs> just like the sign up was, a, it, we call it a push track. So it's a little short area where you just run behind like a little, like a, a makeshift sled and you jump and it's like a 20 meter track. So you're just basically trying to see how fast you can get the sled going. Yeah. Um, but you start on ice. So I go from like a day before running in spikes to, you know, now I have these ice spikes on and I'm running on ice and you're like mentally, you're just like, it's ice is supposed to be slippery. Right you know, you kind of like get over that fear. Um, and then there's also like the aspect of like the first time you go down in a bobsled. Um, and so that was, you know, that came about a month later and you're, it, mm, let me see. It's like being kicked off a cliff in a washing machine. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I'll sum it up for you. <laughs> that sounds absolutely terrifying. Incredibly terrifying, <laughs> but you get used to it. Um, as you learn more about the sport. And so it's just like anything, the more you learn, the more comfortable you feel, the, the more you can take yourself to the next level. And for me, a big piece of the puzzle with bobsled was understanding where I was in the track, despite being eyes closed, head down and not being able to see anything. Right. Um, that was a game changer for me being able to feel more comfortable and then be able to put more effort into uh, winning. It's I have two things uh, I want to jump on in that one is the last interview I did. This is like, a weird streak of people that he also like took time off of javelin throwing to do skeleton. So it's mm -hmm. very like the, I've never had people do any type of anything like that. And then it's two in a row, but that's very mm -hmm. unique. So, I mean, I guess there is that opportunity there, like you said, but the, the big thing I wanted to jump on was the fact that you were willing to try that. And like people will be in high school and not willing to try a new event. And you're at the end of your pro contract being a track, like all the stuff you've done and you were willing to just completely go out of, like left field and do something completely different. So, I mean, I think that's the, a huge lesson and takeaway from that is just the willingness to try something new and like, who knows where I can take you. I mean, you obviously made the most of it and maybe not everybody gets to that level of it, but it's like, I mean, still just the willingness to try it. I mean, you, you never know what can happen. 
Yeah. I mean, like I said, my, my kind of motto is focus on the, the opportunities, not the obstacles. And I think it's such an important thing to do in every aspect of your life, because we can get really, really wound up, you know, thinking about an injury and my career is over. And, you know, and before you know it, you've gone down this like deep, dark mental um, place. Whereas, you know, it's like, okay, where's the opportunity in this moment? I'm, I'm, I'm on pause because I'm injured. Uh, what can I do instead? You know, let me enroll in the class. Let me, you know, find a new healthcare provider to help me get healthy faster. Like if you focus on the opportunities instead of the obstacles, like doors are always going to be opening and you're going to be running through like, oh, like what's the next cool thing that's coming up in my life will be your perspective versus, oh my goodness, what's the, you know, crazy thing that's happening or how do I deal with this thing in a moment? And you're trying to force something that doesn't fit. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's an outstanding advice. So you said you didn't originally have Olympic aspirations, but like talk about winning the medal and competing at such a high level in a completely different event. Like, I mean, I don't know what you want to say about it. It's just, it's so different, but like, what was that like once you start realizing, Hey, I'm also at this level in something else. Yeah. Um, I, it all happened so fast that I didn't really, I think, appreciate it until I actually remember, you know, so we do four runs in bobsled. Uh, and after the third one, we were leading. And as I was walking through like the media zone to get ready for the fourth, you know, to head back up, uh, one of the guys said like, you're getting ready to make history. How does it feel? And I was like, what? Like I had no idea like what he even meant. And I didn't realize that, you know, by winning a medal, I was going to become one of five people who had ever done so. And if I would have won a gold medal, um, I would have been the only, I think that has won gold in both summer and winter um, or maybe the second, but it was a pretty big deal either way. And I was, I had none of that crossed my mind. I was just like, I'm just trying to win, do the best right. for my team. And um, so, you know, you don't get to really digest those things when something kind of pops up on you. But like I said, when you're going with the moment, it also makes you a lot more free because you're not so worried about the outcome. You're just worried about putting in the best effort in that moment and making the most of it. Yeah. And, and I think that's like the mindset of a high level athlete is not letting those things like seep in. Like you didn't even know that's when people are going to be at their best is when they're just focused on that, that moment right there and not like, all right, I'm about to go make history on this last one. You know what I mean? Like you were just locked in enough that like you didn't let the, and it's not many people also are used to having outside people remind them, Oh, Hey, you're about to do this. Like you, maybe you knew like, you didn't know about it before, but maybe if you did like someone would be reminding you, like that's different. Most of the time it's like all internal, but having that external factor of someone trying to do that, like doesn't happen to everybody, but I mean, that's just an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, it was a really dope opportunity. Yeah, and like I said, you took the most of it. And like, I mean, that would be something that not many people would do. So I think it's like, it's just outstanding you take that. And I think anyone listening can really, really take that into their own lives. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we look back at your athletic career, are there any like overarching lessons or advice you would give to younger athletes, whether that be, it could be financial, it could be athletic, it could be anything. Like, are there any pieces of advice you would give to a younger athlete? Um, I think there's, there's lots of advice I could give. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it short though. So <laughs> <laughs> the, the first thing is to ask lots of questions. Um, always be gathering information because information is so powerful in helping you discern where you want to go in life. And whether you are, you know, in the athlete position, talking to your coach, if you're talking to a financial professional, uh, your weight coach, your agent, um, you know, no matter who it is, like be questioning everything so that you can gather more information. Because if you're just being fed information, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for things to get messed up. Like, what are you, what are you missing by not thoroughly getting the, the, the gist of whatever someone is sharing with you. So if I tell you, Hey, you know, Scott, I can make you a millionaire and you're like, okay, great. And I'm like, just sign on this dotted line and you do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't say anything about how I was going to make you a millionaire. You might be like, well, Lord's a financial advisor. So, you know, in your brain, you're thinking like, that must be how she's going to make me a millionaire. It would make a lot more sense for you to be like, well, how are you going to make me a millionaire? Right. What goes into becoming a millionaire? Do I need to invest anything to, you know, and what is the time commitment and, and, and on and on and on and on and on until you really get a clear understanding of what someone said to you um, and what you might not, why, might not understand. And it's also your absolute right to ask as many questions as you want of anyone, you know, you're hiring people 
uh, you're they're being paid a fee for whatever it is work that you're like, whether that's a yard man, like I said, a financial person, a coach, a whomever, um, you absolutely have the right to ask questions and to get a really good understanding versus taking their word for it and believing that someone is doing what is appropriate for you in any situation. So that would be thing number one is ask a lot of questions. Thing number two would be listen to your body. Um, no one knows your body better than you. If you want to get to the elite level of, of track and field and you want to participate for years and years to come, um, then you have to know and understand how far your body can go and what it can do. Um, and while the coach is absolutely necessarily, um, I could not have made it without my coach at all. I know some, some athletes are self-taught or coaching themselves. Um, you know, that outside influence or those, those external people that are providing feedback so that you can continue to go to the next level are absolutely important. You have to understand your body more than anyone else. You have to know when to say, I, I can't do another one. I, I, you know, no more reps today because, you know, the coach had 10 on the paper and you, you know, and number eight are feeling yucky. Um, you don't need to do 10 just because there's 10 on the paper necessarily. If, if throwing number nine is going to throw your arm out and you're done for the season, you're going to be super duper upset. Right. So understand what your limitations are and understand that, you know, rest and recovery are important. Understand that, you know, like you said, there are things you can do to, to still reach your full potential without driving your body uh, into the ground. You know, we want to push it to the limit, but we don't want to drive it into the ground. Right. Absolutely. Like you said, push it to the limit, not over the limit, like over the limit. You're not going to be doing track very long, especially in a sport that, I mean, you can't hide from injuries. Like when you just get based on time and distance and everything like that. I mean, it's like, that's going to tell you if you're hurt or not, probably like you can't, exactly. if, if you're playing another sport, maybe you can like kind of have a, a sore ankle or something and you can like make it happen and just like do other things. But with this, it's like, you really are just based on numerical things that are don't, care if you're hurt or not they're going to give you the numbers so having that advice is really good and I think going to the first thing like that's like the perfect advice and exactly how I think about it but I feel like too many people want to take like the position of power as just like you said as fact and like don't want to question it where it's like some of the best success I've had is and, and I think a, a good coach is going to respect that you're asking questions because that means you want the same thing that they want and you're moving in the right direction or you're moving in the direction towards progress you're not just sitting there taking whatever's handed to you and whatever, like most of the, most of the best, best athletes I know are the ones that are willing to think for themselves. And, and like you said, they're not, you don't want to like undermine them, but you also don't want to just take it as, as all fact, no matter what happens. Exactly. So transitioning now, like how did your idea for worth winning come about? And like, what is, I mean, we talked a bit about your background in finance, but like, how does that come about really as like a business? <laughs> yeah. So like I said, it, it is all interwoven. And I think we all need to realize that, you know, life is a journey and we're being kind of led in, in various places and that nothing is happening to us by mistake. So I mentioned earlier, like I said, selling candy in high school, you know, choosing finance as a major, um, you know, enlisting the help of two financial advisors and it not going well, like all of those are part of my story. And and the not going well piece of it kind of inspired me to make sure that athletes and other young professionals have an opportunity to work with someone who really understands their needs. And so I wasn't someone where these two guys stole my money and ran off or, you know, did any of these kind of crazy scandalous things, but they also weren't the best to help me understand what was going on in my life. And so when we think about finances, there's so many aspects of it. You know, there's your budget. And so many people don't take time to make a budget. Um, as a javelin thrower, your budget is going to be like beyond important because money is generally going to be tight. There's <laughs> not a whole lot of income. So you got to be really smart about it. And, and I think that's one of the mistakes that people make is like realizing like, oh, I don't have a lot. So I, I don't need to really organize myself because I just know I got to you know spend as little as possible. And it's like, yes, that may be true. Maybe you don't have enough income to be able to save and meet these other goals and all your expectations in the moment, but being organized will help you so that when more money comes in, uh, now you know what to do with it because you already have an organized plan. Right. It's the same thing we do with sports. You know, We maybe don't have all the tools we need. We don't have the best coach in the country. We don't have the best field. We don't have you know, the $10,000 javelin that someone else is you know, throwing or something like that. However, we got to make the most of what we have 
and when we're making the most of what we have, we will continue to improve. And then once we improve there and we're given more resources, we'll know what to do with them. Uh, we're always laying the foundation. And so for me, that's why this company was really important was because I wanted people to be able to, to lay a proper foundation. So whether that is paying down debt, understanding your credit, um, you know, understanding insurance and taxes and uh, investing, you know, what does it mean to retire? Because athletes, we're going to retire twice, you know, whether we like to think of it or not, we're going to retire from sport. Um, and generally, most of us are not going to have enough money to kick our feet up for the rest of our lives and right. never work again. So we're going to have to find something else to do. And then we're going to retire at age, you know, whatever, 50, 60, 70, or 80, if you don't save well, <laughs> um, um, depending on what career you choose and how you choose to save. And so, you know, when is the time to save? It's absolutely right now. Even if, like you said, you're making a meager $20,000 a year as an athlete, find something and put it aside um, and get in the habit of putting aside. And it is not too little to put a dollar aside. Like I'm going to save a dollar a month. Like you're creating the habit um, so that you can, oh, I can mm. save $2 a month. And now you already, like, more money will come at some point. Either it'll be you're working in addition to, um, you know, throwing jab or you are done altogether and you go get full-time work, you know, whatever the, your situation ends up being, there will be a point where more money will come and you'll know what to do with it because you've already been organized. So absolutely an important thing. And like I said, me and my passion around this business was like, I knew I didn't have those skills. I didn't have financial literacy. And I realized that my friends didn't have it either because the more I learned, the more I asked questions of them. And I realized they were just as clueless as me and that there was no one out there helping us. And I feel like when you were talking about that, that that's like when you hear stories of super successful businesses or like how these products come about is like people get ideas because they tried something and it didn't work. <laughs> and so then they go and do something else because they're like, oh, wow, like it should be easier to mow my lawn or something like that. And then they just go make the lawnmower that cuts it like whatever. Perfect. So it's just things like that, that it's like through trial and error, like seeing what's not out there and like trying to fill that gap. So with your company, like, are you working with primarily athletes you're working with primarily normal people or like what is what's your like ideal client when you're looking for somebody yeah it's primarily normal people quote unquote. yeah I didn't know I didn't know what the word was I was just like <laughs> we don't normal people non-athletes <laughs> yes non-olympic athletes um however uh what what was happening was last year I had done a, a partnership with the USOPC um, you know, COVID came and they had to cut their budget. So that was the way I was going to be able to help, you know, a lot of athletes that, because we know an Olympic sport, like I said, a lot of people don't make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard for them to be able to pay someone to get the advice they need, even though they need the advice. So, um, you know, we were also working at that time on a group program. We were working on actually, uh, uh, online program. So I did get that done and completed. So it, I'm always thinking of ways to make it accessible to people like where you, where you can pay as little as possible, but you're investing in yourself right. so that you can get access to the information you need. Um, and so my, like I said, my business right now is primarily non, non-Olympic athletes. Uh, I do have some Olympic athletes I'm working with. I'd say about seven. Um, and those are, you know, like I said, earners that like can, can justify an ongoing fee. However, there's a course that you can take um, that is easy and, you know, do it yourself. It's going to teach you tons of information and it's made with athletes in mind. Um, I have like a one-time meeting that people do where they just kind of like, Hey, let's just like, tell me as much as you can about my situation. And let me share with you what, what, what kind of my heartaches I'm having. Um, and then I did like a kind of broader one-time plan where you can like, give me all your documents. We upload them to a secure portal. We map out a whole plan for you. And then you can go implement it on your own. So like I said, it's very different than what people think of when they think of financial planning, because they think of like, oh, I don't have money to invest because there's a lot of people who would just invest your money and that's it. And they call themselves financial advisors. And, right. you know, it's not the same thing as comprehensive looking at your, your financial picture. So for me, it's about, like I said, trying to meet people where they are and provide something so you can have the education necessary to be able to move forward. Right. And I think that's great because of your background too, especially when we're talking on this podcast, like whoever is listening to it, like I said, I mean, a lot of the, the listeners do fit your demographic and it's like having an athlete be the one that's telling you what to do with your money. Like people are, like you said, when you were picking those advisors, I highly doubt they were high level athletes. Maybe they were, prove me wrong, but they probably were not. So it's like, they may, they're not going to understand exactly those thoughts you're going through where you are someone that I feel like would understand people's situation a lot more. And like, like you said, knowing, already knowing that these people are not 
most of them are not getting that much money from the sport. We're like on the outside, if someone's going to the Olympics, they might think, wow, they're, they're rich. Like the North, like the average person might think they're rich. Most of them are not. So it's like understanding that and like going to someone and be like, okay, I know that you're not making this much, but what can we do? Like, I think that's, that's really good. And like, just having someone that you can relate to, you know, like on the other side, I think is, is a big factor. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point too, that a lot of people, they said that are new to the sport. It's like, you love your event you love throwing jab, but you're not really clear on like what your earning potential could be. Um, I know plenty of Olympic gold medalists that don't earn more than $40,000 a year. Um, and it's mind blowing to people when they hear that, like, and, and it happens frequently in the throw. So the gold medal is not the thing that's going to change your life per se. Um, it's the marketing. It is the story that is, you know, people decide to tell. Um, I think, I think it's important to know, like I said, that's why it's, you need to be organizing your finances from the very beginning, because it's not, oh, if I can just do this thing, if I can just break this record, if I can just get, you know, we always like, oh, if I could just fill in the blank, then something else is going to happen. We can't wait for the just to happen so that the then can happen. We need to be working with what we have in the moment and making the most of it so that if, if neither of those happen, you're still okay. Right. Absolutely. Like you, and I mean, you can't count on those things. I mean, it's like only one person can win the gold medal every four (laughs) years that, and like, maybe you're on the path to it and then you get hurt and like your finances aren't there. And like that, that money is going to go like whatever you're making a lot or a little from your sport might just go away. So I think that's a huge, uh, huge tip there. And like, uh, this kind of transitions into what we talked to earlier before we got on the podcast, but you were, have that 12, 12 week program coming up mm-hmm. and like what, if someone's going to sign up for that, what does that entail outside of like the other offerings you have? Yeah. So I'm really excited about this one because like I said, for me, it's all about accessibility. So I did this um, online course to, like I said, it's on demand. People can just do it whenever they want. Um, and it's, it's been, it's had some level of success, but I think one of the things that people don't like is like, they'll buy it and then they'll never use it on their own. Mm-hmm. So you need some level of accountability but also uh, a lot of people want to learn how to fish. So this is that financial education that we should have gotten in high school or we should have gotten in college to teach you how to adult, to teach you how to fish. So it's not trying to make you dependent on me as the financial planner. This is me giving you the information and you, you know, rolling up your sleeves and doing the work week by week so that you can create a financial plan for yourself and, and get the clarity that you need while working with someone that is credible. So I am super pumped about January. We're going to be doing a group coaching program. It's also pay with integrity. Um, and so what I mean when I say pay with integrity is that there's three different levels and you can, you can choose one based on what you feel your ability to pay is in this moment. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, accessibility is one of those things. Like if you're willing to put in the work, but you seriously don't have the dollars, um, I want you to get the advice that you need. Um, And so for me, it is making sure that people have a plan going forward and we're going to cover money mindset. We're going to walk through like what your environment is and what could be holding you back um, from achieving your financial goals because of your environment, Um, spending with purpose. So a lot of people want to be very intentional about the way that they're spending their money nowadays. Um, But what does that mean? How do we kind of map that out? And then we start to dive into the details of, like you said, the more specific financial planning topics. So That is nailing down your budget, understanding credit, how to get rid of your debt. Um, Moving forward from there, we talk about insurance. We talk about taxes. We talk about, uh, of course, retirement. We've already talked about it on this podcast a little bit. Investing. Everybody's all the rave. You know, we want to skip over all these steps and just go right to the like, how much should I be investing right now? Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's let's talk about like where you are in life. Do we have an emergency fund? What kind of cash do we have? What kind of income? We got so many questions to ask before we get to the investing piece of the puzzle. Um, And then last but not least, we talk about uh, estate planning, which is something that young professionals never want to talk about. Uh, We think that estate planning is something that either happens for rich people or it happens, you know, shortly before you die because I'm not planning on dying anytime soon. So I don't want to worry about that. Uh, That's not how we should be handling that. That's a huge piece of your financial puzzle and making sure that things are taken care of and that you don't end up, you know, bankrupt if something happens or, you know, in the hands of a wrong person or, you know, just you're not leaving something behind going to be stressful for others if you can't make decisions or you're not around right no absolutely I, I think that's awesome and like one thing I've tried to do with my page and my podcast is not bring on or like I mean this isn't really an ad I mean we did your whole story but like I only want to talk about like businesses things that I believe in and I could just mm-hmm. tell like you're genuine like I that's like 
basically for my listeners, I'm just trying to tell them like, this is not like a paid thing. Like I really believe in Lauren. I think th- what she's doing is great. And like, honestly, I think I might take it on myself. So, I mean, I think this is really, really, I've been a great interview and just like hearing your background, hearing how you get there and like having someone out there that would understand your position as an athlete. And I think like the pay with integrity component is huge too. Cause like you said, you're getting what these people on like their situation. You're not just like, here's my like $15,000 course, whatever pay everyone who can pay that, pay that. Like you're doing whatever fits best for the person. You know what I mean? So I think that's uh that's a really huge part and says a lot about yourself. So thank you so much. Yeah. Um, it's, it is hugely important to me that, you know, that I'm not running a business that is not in line with my values. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, everybody needs to make a living, but a lot of people, like you said, get tied to profit, 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 squeezing every dollar out. And like I said, it's just not the way that I want to be treated by anyone. So I wouldn't treat anyone that way. Um, and I'm always quick to refer people out. I'm quick to say like, Hey, you're not a good fit for this. Um, but here's something else that might be a good fit for you. Here's another person that might be a good fit for you. And like I said, that, that goes back to what we were saying earlier about asking questions. You ask a lot of questions and you'll, you'll get to the bottom of whether or not something is the good fit for you or the, you know, or not the right fit for you. Um, and the person on the other end of that exchange, you'll get a good understanding of, you know, what kind of person they are, whether you, you know, your gut will tell you this is something I should be doing, or this is not something I should be doing. But when the person's selling it more than, um, you know, you're getting to engage with it and decide that you want it for yourself, then that's probably not a good sign either. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So wrapping up here, how can people contact you or find you? Like what would be the best way to either learn more about you or get into your programs or like, I guess, where can they find you on Instagram and where can they find you outside of that? Yes, I am everywhere. I'm on IG. It's worth winning. So the company is called worth winning. Uh, Instagram. Oh, that, that was Instagram already. <laughs> Twitter. Uh, it's worth underscore winning. So if that's your platform, I don't think anyone uses it anymore, but um, the only place I'm not is Snapchat. Snapchat. Um, worth-winning.com is the website. That's where you can go if you want to set up a call, if you want to read more about the services. Like I said, all the pricing is on there. Uh, all very transparent. The group coaching is starting January the 10th. So if if you're interested, you can jump on board with that cohort. Um, we'll probably be running another one, not in, probably until June. So, All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Lauren. I think it was really insightful, both about your career and your business. Uh, hopefully people take you up on that offer and I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Scott, for having me. Awesome. If I make it out the sound, oh, I'm gon' keep you around. Swear to God, I'm not gon' switch on you.